Hello there, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Netflix in Canada. I'm your host, Dylan Clark-Moore, and today we're going to be talking about Memento. Before we get into things, I do want to issue a couple of warnings about this episode. First of all, we are not going to be shy about spoilers, so if you're worried about this movie getting ruined, watch it first. As well, we keep an explicit tag on this show in case of things getting a bit cussy, and considering my guest here today, that is all but a guarantee. With that out of the way, let's get into things. I am nothing but thrilled to welcome my good friend, making her debut on Netflix. I'm offering up a huge welcome to Emily Bullis. Hi there, audience. Hello, Emily, Hi. on behalf of the audience. <laughs> this is my first time actually podcasting to people, so... Instead of just podcasting with your dolls at your... Like, and myself, <laughs> listening to my own voice alone just recording, in the dark. Just <laughs> recording yourself on your talkback or your... Uh, what the fuck what are those called? Talk boys? Oh my god. Emily, how about you break the ice the way that we always do and tell us what kind of stuff you've been watching on Netflix recently. Um, so recently I watched The End of the Fucking World, or This is the End of the Fucking World. I thought it was amazing. Um, it's I think it's a British... Um, I don't want to say miniseries, but it only has about 10 episodes pretty funny it's dark humor um a lot of death and um it's about kind of a kid who thinks he might be a serial killer and then he finds a girl that might be his target and then they fall in love and so you can imagine what happens also what it says about me i love death (laughs) dying and murder speaking of death being alone and murder the movie that we're going to be talking about this episode is from the year 2000 from director christopher nolan we're going to be talking about memento Let's take a look at this movie the way that Netflix describes it. It offers two different synopses. So the first one is, A broken-hearted man remembers almost nothing, but his notes will lead him to a horrifying truth. How do you feel about that? Would you watch that movie based on that? I mean, to be honest with you, no. I think that's really underselling the movie, and I think whoever wrote that was not getting paid enough by Netflix. But that's just my opinion. Being a writer, writing crap, on the daily writing crap on the daily that people don't actually read exactly i know you're basically a netflix synopsis i mean netflix hire me please i'm just kidding (laughs) the other the uh alternative description is suffering short-term memory loss after a head injury leonard shelby embarks on a grim quest to find the lowlife who murdered his wife i like that a lot better i like the word lowlife i like the word grim and i'm very into how it's dark right from the beginning nice there we go and Netflix describes this movie as both mind-bending and suspenseful. Yes. Well, they weren't lying. <laughs> so, Emily, of all the movies available on all of the Netflixies, this is the one that you picked. So, why did you why did you pick Memento? Cuz I'm going <laughs> actually I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to let you answer. I'm going to let you finish. Okay. But first, I just want to tell you that Emily is a very uh fun-loving person with some grim tendencies 
But I was like, Emily, I want you to pick whatever movie you want. And she said, great. I want to have a really funny conversation. Let's do Memento. So talk me through that because what the fuck? Yes. I mean, so it's not something that you would pretty much see right away and think this is going to be a great conversation, dinner table conversation, lively, fun, entertaining. But I will tell you this. I had a lot of questions and I made a lot of assumptions on the characters just because they're the kind of actors that you don't really see double cast in other movies like Natalie yes but the rest of them I just I don't know where they've been or where they're going and I feel like I love to watch movies like that just so I can make a backstory up for this person kind of I don't know it's fun to me starting from nothing and you know it was very thematically appropriate yeah but I also think it'll be funny because at the end of the day confusion is funny and let's be real everyone watching this movie is fucking confused (laughs) Like, this movie is a mind fuck for sure. Did it say mind bending? It should have said mind fuck because that's what's happening here. It's fucking your brain. So, anyway, let's uh, continue. <laughs> do you want to take me through your history with this? Like, how many times have you seen it before? Okay, so I have started, well, I watched it first when I was high. I'll be completely honest with you. Wasn't a good choice. Thought maybe because I was high that it was this crazy. So, that was an issue for me. So, waking up, you know, the next day half baked and trying to remember what happened I was thinking to myself I must have mismemorized this movie I must have you know this can't be the way it was <laughs> right so I you know I, I put it off because I'm a busy woman and a couple I would say weeks later I watched the movie um no it you don't even need to be high it's like watching the movie sober is like being high the movie jumps a thousand places a thousand times over you're kind of on a roller coaster of emotions and you don't know heads from tails. So long story short, I watched it then, so twice. And then I recently just watched it again just to be prepared for your show. Um, feel like watching it high, it made more sense. So Christopher Nolan, if you're out there. He's a big fan of the show. <laughs> he is. He, he does, must be. He does love tuning into obscure Canadian Netflix-based <laughs> podcasts. Although this is the second Christopher Nolan movie that we've done. We did Interstellar before with Edward Platero, who's Beautiful Space that we're using right now. First of all, such a good movie, though. Really good such, movie. But space, does it not freak you out? There's so much space. There's I guess too, that's why they call it space, but there, still. There's too much. There's almost too much space. <laughs> I, I would prefer less space. <laughs> so you brought up the uh, the confusion about the movie, which, I mean, like, I I try to take pretty diligent notes when I watch these movies knowing that I'm going to talk about them and honestly like my my page my single page was not <laughs> even full for Memento because I was it doesn't even give you time to process what it is that you're seeing because it's just and now you're cutting now you're cutting now you're cutting and you're moving back in time now you're moving like it's it's bouncing around right uh, I checked on I think it was Wikipedia and they were saying that there's literally 113 different time jumps in this movie like that's yeah. how crazy it is and they label them too like if you dissect it, you, like Christopher Nolan has them labeled. Um, black and white would be one to twenty, and then he has the colored version. I think alphabetically labeled, so he could even keep track because mm-hmm. to him it was even, you know, one of those things for continuity purposes, but still stressful for him to keep track of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's so. I mean, I I don't want to cheapen it by saying that it's like the gimmick of the movie but I mean like you take a chance whenever you play around with format like that and you tell a story out of sequential order Mm -hmm. um sometimes it works like Pulp Fiction like with this sometimes it doesn't Mm -hmm. but I mean with this like it's really I mean the like the the ultimate I don't know this the success like the like the, the reason that you go back to Memento 
is to feel confused and to mm-hmm. feel fucked up and like your memory isn't something that you can trust yeah and that's something that's baked right into the way that they tell the story yeah he said the word baked you don't need to spend your money on weed when you watch this movie you can just watch this movie you're already paying your however many bucks a month exactly i'm like so i usually try to understand things in a timeline so when things jump back and forth i think to myself let me put this in a timeline my brain automatically goes to that kind of formatting just to understand things this is not a beginning to end thing and if it was it would not be as impactful so it's like you said i don't think it's gimmicky but i do think that if it was done in a sequential order or even just you know sequential but still black and white like reverse so the director christopher nolan explained this as not a straight line it was shaped like a bent paper clip so they meet up at the end mm-hmm. but they run opposing to each other throughout the whole movie so i think that if he just did it just the two without meeting at the end it still wouldn't be as great as when they come together yeah and it i think it isn't a gimmick but i think without that i mean they got nothing (laughs) because if you're not confused then it's a pretty straightforward plot right like yeah yeah. so yeah that's all i'll say are we allowed to ruin the movie for you guys yeah no i I mentioned earlier that we're yeah spoiler Spoiler alert spoilers are plenty (laughs) we got a mountain of them today here be spoilers hear ye hear ye I guess there was a, a scientist who was explaining the experience of watching this. I'm saying scientist like that's a catch-all. It's some kind of psychologist, <laughs> I guess. It's one a guy of, with a brain in an office. One of them shrinks. <laughs> and uh, he was saying that like the experience of watching the movie is basically like you're replicating. I mean, it's not quite that, that simple, but like you're, you're essentially replicating Leonard's condition because watching the movie out of order while also jumping back and forth in time, kind of like how I mentioned that it was hard to take notes because you're constantly just in the experience of watching the movie. Yeah. And the phrase that he used to describe, or they used, I don't know what gender was. Um, the phrase that they used to describe it is having that kind of amnesia and also watching this movie is about living in a state of perpetual present mm-hmm. instead of really having a concept of the past because your past kind of has an end point. Yeah. And not bothering to build really any kind of future because you know that you're not going to experience anything past five minutes from now. And that seems something super appealing to people who are awkward or weird or whatever, like myself. Thinking about only living in the present and not really giving a fuck about what happens kind of appeals to me. You won't remember it. Like he even says, tomorrow I know I'm not gonna remember this. So if he doesn't search for a pen, doesn't look for something to write it down, he's essentially, the day is gone to him and he won't remember. So for me, I think that's kind of a cool way to live, to wake up every day kind of starting fresh, really knowing the base about yourself, but nothing completely present and then still being able to start over again every day so that's great if you're fucked up like me and you really just want to you know mess people's lives up enjoy enjoy some drama drink some tea you know but it's like what is the point after that like there's no long-term plan here and it's almost like what's the point of being alive in the first place if you can just only be in the present and some people think that's a gift and i i guess to the degree well, I mean, yeah, I mean... <laughs> to like, what degree? Like, philosophically, sure, it's good to, like, be able to let go of the past and to not be burdened by the future and to live in the present, but to have that be your only option, yeah. I think, is yeah. is So go fuck horrifying. yourself, Pinterest, because you know that's what they're saying right now on Pinterest. Stay in the present. So when you when you say, like, that sounds amazing, like, are you, are you being cute when you say that? Or, like, does that actually sound appealing to you to, like, not be burdened by the past and future? So speaking from someone who has, I had a good childhood, but like obviously like most people, there are some issues and some traumas um, that we all have to overcome. From that mindset, yeah, you get to kind of be free of that. You still remember 
like I guess in his case he remembers what happened to him long term in the past but if we're speaking like in general and you just remember the present day that would kind of be freeing for me especially knowing that you can wake up again and not remember anything and start fresh that seems like kind of that kind of allows you to truly do exactly what you want to follow any of your inhibitions your most human instincts as far as you want them to go but not being able to remember the recent past doesn't mean that you're free of consequences first of all i just want you to know that i'm not a good person and you know this and so for me i would literally go ape shit for a good solid week because i would probably love the shit out of it right but at the end of the day when i'm in jail for like 10 years i guess i just have to live the most boring life life ever after i've like stolen a car or something terrible right you just keep waking up mid bender and be like (laughs) fuck it let's keep it going (laughs) it's like the same thing when i drink i try to keep it rolling keep it going but um and then I think the worst part of it, though, is knowing that you're kind of wasting your time at the end of it. You don't remember anything. You don't really want to build anything special. Um, and like you just are devoid of human connection because you really don't remember being with that person in that moment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I think that one of the more poignant things that the movie says is when um, I think it's Natalie Carrie Ann Moss's character who mm-hmm. says who who's really trying to understand like where Leonard's mind is at. And she asks him like how are you supposed to heal how are you supposed to grow or develop as a person if you like you literally have no concept of time like Mm -hmm. he's got whatever it is like five ten minutes at a time Mm -hmm. before his brain hits a reset switch and then he's done so i mean if we're like we hear all the time like time heals all wounds but what if you don't have time and you can't get over your wounds and you're just living in whatever state that you're in in that moment forever and especially considering his past is so painful that to me kind of like that's torture living in a tortured state constantly because if you had a positive past where you didn't feel the need to constantly strive for something like he is strive for you know some kind of resolution you wouldn't necessarily be living in such a chaotic place in the present but i think the fact that he does have to deal with what you know his wife being killed or whatever the case may be she was in a she was in a shower curtain breathing slowly and that's all i saw about her death but she didn't she didn't die no then. she survived right. okay <laughs> want to make sure you <laughs> we watched the end of the movie together first of all yeah. um i did not watch this movie i'm <laughs> just kidding but so I you've feel done like... a great job faking your way through so far <laughs> thank i am you so much. super impressed <laughs> thank you uh youtube i'm just kidding but um yeah no i definitely think that at the end of the day if you have a positive uh past memory then i think you're gonna be kind of in a better place than Leonard because right now he's living literally in a state of turmoil every single day when he wakes up but I mean we we see him take action and we see him try to kind of create a timeline for himself with all of his like meticulous note-taking and all of his tattoos and everything right and then at the end we ultimately see that he is willing to lie to himself in order in order to like build a narrative and like tell himself a story so I think it's interesting that Leonard never told himself a nice story that he never decided that, like, hey, I'm just going to, like, you know, write myself a little story that says, like, hey, here's what happened. You caught the guy. Mm-hmm. He's dead. Now you're retired in Cabo. <laughs> you're yeah. living a great life. <laughs> well, like, Teddy said that. So Teddy said at the end, he said to Leonard, listen, we already got this guy. So that is, whether that's true or not, that's what Teddy told him. We already got this guy. You know, you weren't happy. You weren't satisfied with it. You constantly needed something else, right? So no matter what we did, it wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And he never stopped you. And so 
I think you're right about that. He chose to give himself that narrative because he took a lot of agency at the end of the film to actually pick up and choose who he was going to go after next. And at the end of the day, though, I think that's kind of applicable to all of us. We all live in a perceptive state. It's based on what we see the world like, how we interpret the things that come we come across. And whether or not we'd like to be so consciously aware that we're doing it, it I mean, we're doing it all the time. And so, like, to, to watch the black and white really be the sub, uh, like, the actual... Um, so black and white usually was the objective view, like the people what everyone else sees what the universe's reality is and then you get to see the colored view which is leonard's actual subjective view and how he feels the situation's going but the truth is really in between um but i think that's such a thing about human nature is we're constantly striving to alter our perception of things the way we want to see them or the way that benefits us the most subconsciously or consciously it's just happening around us because we can't handle the truth and we're all weak babies that's basically it. And I feel like that is, I mean, you don't need to go to some fancy dancy psychologist to know that. Yeah. I know everything also. I'm a wealth of all knowledge. Let's, yeah, get, I let's mean, get real philosophical. Like, you know when no, you're really no, high no. And, at a party and you sit down next to the other guy who, who definitely has long hair and a goatee and he's sitting there and he's staring at a wall and you're like, let's really dissect this one. Right. That's, let's do that now. That's what we do. That's, this that's is what episode do. 91 of doing this bullshit. <laughs> 91 episodes? Yeah. You are very dedicated. I start things and I literally, I leave halfway through dressing myself. Like I don't understand. That explains why you showed up tits out this morning at work. <laughs> One tit out. You never go double tit out. You put your best tit forward <laughs> and put your put best, your best tit, tit forward. forward and you move on with your life. And people will appreciate yeah. you for that. <laughs> Nipples are the eyes of the chest. You're a fucking Amazon is what you are. <laughs> I'm only five foot four. Putting your best tit forward. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, obviously it's done in a really dramatic way filled with, like, murder and insulin-related suicides and things like that. But, yeah, I mean, it, it really, if you, if you sit with it and you internalize it, then, yeah, this movie reminds you that you're constantly feeding yourself bullshit and you're constantly building your own story. This guy just gets to do it in a really pure way where he can literally tell himself a story and five minutes later he's going to wake up and inherently believe it because he scribbled himself a note yeah. that says it. And believe it to like his entire body believes it. Like sometimes when you're lying to yourself, when you feel like you know the truth, but you're kind of just trying to tell yourself that, you know, your eyeliner isn't running down your face or, you know, like that you don't have something in your teeth or no one saw you do that. Right. So you, you do know deep down the truth. And I'm not going to like no one has to tell you it. No matter what your friends say, you're going to believe what you know deep down. But um, for him, like every cell of his body is fighting for something that he thinks is true. And I'm kind of jealous about that because just look how hard he rolls. Like, he literally believes that this person's killing his wife. He goes out, he tattoos his own body with a pen. Lord Almighty, I have never seen that in my life, someone putting a towel over their legs and tattooing themselves with a pen, with a Bic pen. Don't do that at home, by the way. I don't recommend it. I don't think anybody's watching Memento and being like, you know what? That's the one thing I thought (laughs) I need to live the Leonard Shelby life. (laughs) I literally only want to get a memento tattoo if it's tattooed by a big pen yeah. and a towel by myself. Carpe every fucking DM. <laughs> and start All the over DMs. from scratch every day. So what do you think that for Leonard it says about the fact that when he's confronted with the truth, he's told this, he's told this, uh, let's assume that Teddy is telling the truth at mm. the end. That Teddy is 
telling him exactly what's happened. Teddy's just like, finally, I get to like clear the air and like tell you once again what's actually going on. Like, what does that say about Leonard that he he seems to believe it and he still is just like, no, fuck this guy. I'm going to take him down next. I think that changes how you think of Leonard. I literally thought he was a victim that he's just doing the right thing, avenging his wife's death like a superhero. It was erotic. It was very, very erotic. I mean, in a fucked up way. So you think like you kind of feel for him. And I mean, you whatever actions he's doing, you make an excuse for it because you feel like it's the right thing to do. But at the same time, when you find that he kind of turns a blind eye to the truth and shapes it the way he wants to, you realize that he has a lot more agency in this seemingly very uncontrollable situation that he's always put into every day. And that's what's the scariest part is that he would rather live like that. But at the same time, so would I. I'm not going to lie to you. At the end of the day, if I had to confront something that I did that was terrible and I had the option to erase it, do not tell me that you're some do-gooder that's going to actually live with that every day. Right. If you have the option not to, what is it going to... It's already done. Yeah. You know? Tell me, would you? When you say the awful thing, you mean like him killing his wife? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, okay. And that's what I assumed happened with the with the insulin. Right. Because the whole idea is that the... Uh, what's the guy's name? Um, so his name is Sammy Jenkins. Sammy Jenkins, right? The Stephen Tobolowsky character, yeah. <laughs> he looks like, he looks like he. I mean, I don't know if the actor is like that in real life because every time I see him in a film, I don't know who plays that role. But you see him, Stephen Tobolowsky. Oh, well, he's got one God. of those. He's got his own podcast. Okay, good. Because I was gonna say he always looks that confused. So honestly, I don't know if it's real <laughs> life, but I I will have to say that his wife blew me out of the water with her acting skills. Because she committed to being killed via insulin um, by her husband. Mm. But here's the thing. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that was actually what happened to Sammy Jenkins' wife? Do you think? No, no. Sammy... Was it just a reflection of what he did to his wife? No, it's what he did to his own wife. It was it was his own wife who had diabetes. It, and he, he conflated the two memories together. Where mm. Sammy Jenkins was the first time that he encountered this kind of amnesia. Mm-hmm. And then he conflated that story with his own as a way of not confronting the fact that he's actually responsible for killing his wife. Yeah. And all of that, plus his memory issues, has led to where he is now. And like the, Sammy Jenkins, I noticed too... His storyline is the only storyline that doesn't jump. It goes completely from start to finish in the whole film. And I honestly think it's because the actor looks so confused that if they even tried to make it kind of fit into this jumpy thing, we'd all be like, Sammy Jenkins, what is happening? Because, I mean, he's adorable, though. Call me. What's his name? Steven Tobolowsky. (laughs) Yes, I have a fiance, but I'm willing to leave him. For only only you if you act like Sammy Jenkins. (laughs) I don't want your real personality. I just want a Sammy Jenkins of my own. Think about how great like, it would be to have a husband that knew nothing. That's just a, sat there. Talk to my wife. Hey, cha-cha. <laughs> that poor woman. I'm just kidding. Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're all going to hell. So, I mean, being about like memory and everything in general, I also appreciated the kind of part in the middle where, I mean, as unreliable a narrator as as Leonard turns out to be, um, just talking about how like memory is a really unreliable keeper of mm. reality. And I know that we've kind of talked about this before. Neither of us are smart enough to actually say anything truly insightful about yeah, memory. Yeah, like don't listen to this for actual facts, but... Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, it's so, it's so fucking true. Like everything that you remember is absolutely clouded by like how you felt about it in the moment or what you want to be true or... Yeah, I, I do it all the time. When, do you ever think about like when someone's... I know you do this too, especially because you're very like... 
you're very connected to people and how they feel and emotions and I feel like that's a really good part about being friends with you is because someone's always in tune to that they're not necessarily ignoring how you feel you just know someone trying to look out for you but because of that I feel like you all we can me and you are both like this we assume that we know how other people feel and I feel like sometimes I'm always worried that so and so is mad at me and I remember like you do the same thing too where it's kind of like I hope I didn't offend you or it's constant right like it never stops and it's because these people might not even be yeah affected by what we've said or what we've done but I just feel like constantly I'm always wondering you know have I affected someone else's life in a negative way? Yeah, and I mean... Because I probably have. <laughs> no, I absolutely have. There's no question. The guy I hit with my car on the way here? Yes. That was his fault. <laughs> he walked into traffic. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, the thing that I, that I have only recently started worrying about, which makes me worry about the debris in my rearview mirror, not literally, because I did not drive here, um, is I think that, you know, for people like you and me, like we, we like to think that we're not necessarily insightful, but maybe like in tune with how people are feeling. Mm -hmm. I worry sometimes that like, have I built a narrative for somebody that wasn't there before? And am I then projecting like, oh, you must feel this way. And because I'm coming across so sympathetic when I talk to you about it, am I actually making you feel that way when you weren't in the first place? That is such, I never thought about it that way, but creating your own reality out of something that you've just predetermined existed there. Yeah. And I mean, like doing it for yourself, I kind of understand (laughs) <laughs> and it's something that like we all know that we lie to ourselves yes we do but i i've recently started to worry about like what kind of an impact does that have on the people around me if i'm like projecting my own like mythology onto you if i'm just like oh it's possible that emily might be feeling this way so then when i talk to you i'm going to present you with that reality and then if that sounds convincing enough then maybe that's how you're going to start tr- thinking about you're going to treat me like it is that reality too right? right and then for you you have somebody treating you like that's the reality so then well maybe you're thinking like this is I'm going to tell you right now. This is what Memento does to people. It fucks them up. We are literally questioning ourselves to the deepest (laughs) core right now. And I, for one, I'm glad because I think that there are very little things in our lives that allow us to really really look at ourselves in, I don't want to say a lighthearted perspective, but an open perspective, um, a non-judgmental way. And I feel like knowing that Leonard was such a shitbag in the end, he ended up, you know, just allowing himself to believe the worst because it allowed him to feel better about himself. I feel like that allows other people to open up and be like, you know, what would you do? Like if you had that situation presented to you, what would you do? And I feel like a lot of us self-serve and a lot of, because we're controlled by our emotions, because we're controlled by, you know, how we feel about like we're, our emotions are so powerful. They do everything for us and they make us who we are. And I don't think we can fight them all the time. Yeah. I think uh, kind of keeping going with what I was saying, one of the more uncomfortable questions is not just would you do what Leonard did, but do you think that you might do, I'm not, I'm not trying to like challenge you personally, but like, do, do you it. think that you might do what Teddy did? Or do you think you might do what Natalie did where you're presented with this like blank slate of a person and you have the opportunity to get everything that you want from them. And because they don't have the ability to recollect it, like yeah. it's almost like there's no consequences. Yeah. And you know, Natalie was probably the most interesting one for me. Okay. Because um, what he had written on the on the back of his Polaroid about like she's lost someone and you know she will help you out of pity that to me that line just kept sticking with me the whole time so I kept seeing her as this wounded person mm-hmm. and just and as a woman you know she's one of the only female well probably yeah the only female uh, cast member in that movie and she just seemed so wounded and so to see her kind of become I don't want to say a monster but like she didn't do a good thing she sat there in the car looking through the the windshield at him waiting for him to forget 
so she could get him to do what she wanted him to do. After coaxing him into beating the shit out of her or like hitting her That's so that she could I have mean. like visual signs of abuse so then she could turn around and emotionally manipulate him and yeah. Oh yeah, 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 definitely happened a lot in like the scene also before that. But I mean, I guess we saw her kind of as a victim, as a passive victim in the first half of the movie. In the second half, we realize she's just like everyone else. It kind of just makes everyone in the movie seem sick. That's what we're living with, people. Everyone's sick. <laughs> but yes. So this might not have been the lighthearted conversation that we could have gotten with Shrek too. But That's fine. but I think we've just opened up many drawers tonight. Yeah. Um, you brought up some of the like supporting characters and everything. Um, so like Teddy, for instance. Something that I was reading about today that I thought was pretty interesting about him is, well, Natalie ended up getting cast largely because... Uh, somebody involved saw Carrie Ann Moss in The Matrix. I forgot where she was from. Yes, okay. Yeah, so she plays uh, Trinity in The Matrix. But then when she got brought on, she said, oh, you know who'd be good for Teddy is... I'm going to check his name to make sure I don't mispronounce it. Is... This is an accurate podcast. We don't spew lies. Uh, Joe Pantoliano, who on... I his honestly... name would be Joe Pantoliano. I just want to... Once you see this man... <laughs> Um, well, he played Cypher on The Matrix, so you've definitely seen him before if you haven't seen this movie. And if you haven't watched this movie yet, like, fuck, go do it, you idiots. <laughs> do it. Um, on, uh, do, you ever watch, or do you ever listen to How Did This Get Made, the movie podcast? Yes, uh, religiously. Yeah, so, love it. So whenever they talk about Joe Pantoliano, they call him Joey Pants. That's like their gangster <laughs> name for him, and I love it. So I always think of him as Joey Pants. But Carrie on Moss suggested him for the part of Teddy, and people were like, eh, because he's normally typecast as like a sleazebag and everything. And then ultimately they decided, well, yeah, why don't we have this guy who you can just like immediately assume is super skeezy. And then you have that like, because anytime you've seen him before, which is honestly not in too many movies, but like if you have seen him before, you know him to be like this disreputable shitbag. So then for an audience member seeing him, you immediately go there and you're immediately in line with the note that Leonard's left for himself, like don't trust this motherfucker. Mm -hmm. And so that puts you in this like mental space where... By the time you get to the end of the movie, you're like, oh, like, Teddy actually knew what was going on, and we shouldn't be trusting him, but for a different reason, and ultimately, he's a victim in this whole thing. Like, it's just this extra wrinkle of a mindfuck in the movie. And there's just, here's the thing, there's, like, there's so many wrinkles in this movie, too. After I was done watching it, like, the second time when I was not high, I still had so many questions about the character's motives, about, you know... I still felt connected to Natalie. I felt, I, I was like, why would she do this? I, I didn't trust her and I felt upset about it. I had no idea why. And I'm like, you know what? She's living, who knows? She's living a hard life. She's dating a drug dealer, this, that, and the next thing. But I really felt like I was upset that she changed through the movie. And, and it happened like two other times too. I never really felt that with Teddy, you know, I, who I did feel that with though, the uh, attendant at the hotel when he charged him for two extra rooms. Right. And he's like, why not? Because you're not going to remember it. And I honestly, I, I thought he was a good guy. I mean, we didn't know him that long, but like, it was that was one that stuck with me, you know. And I don't yeah. know why. But okay, but here's the interesting thing, right? Is like all of this, you have to take it within context, and you have to understand that like the context that we saw this movie in is intentionally that's how it was revealed to us. Like we were supposed to trust Natalie because that's how Leonard felt in that moment, and yeah. then ultimately it was revealed that okay, she's just as self-serving as everybody else, and like we feel that in the order that we're supposed to for. The hotel attendant, Mark Boone Jr., I think is the actor's name. How do you do this? Continue your thought, but oh my God, you remember <laughs> everyone's name. I, I don't even remember your name at this point. Um, 
I mean, like, it seems, like, wholesome and nice that he reveals that he's ripping him off, but, like, he's ripping off a man with a mental health issue. Exactly. Like, just because it's revealed in this kind of, like, cutesy way, that doesn't make it a good thing, but just because of the way it's revealed to us, we're like, oh, shucks, well, of course you did. And it's kind of, the worst part was, is that the beginning when he held his calls and, you know, he kind of held his messages for him and he seemed like a good guy. He's like, yeah, we've chatted, you know, I know who you are. Um, and kind of co- trying to convince Leonard that, you know, they were friends and they were acquaintances or whatever. And then he just changes his damn mind and does what his boss tells him. And just literally, if you had faith in humanity before watching this movie, you won't after. And if you had faith in humanity before watching this movie, what have you been doing? Please let me in Have on you this. not been paying attention, Yes! Sir. Jeez Louise, the crisis of this world. It's happening. Donald Trump. Illuminati. Don't do that. <laughs> Are you about to go full Alex Jones on I'm my going podcast full right Ale- now? You know what? Going full Alex Jones is something you can't come back from, so I'm going to reserve that. Cut First this. of all, we're doing this like sarcastically, though. I just want you to know. Alex Jones, stop calling me. Um, so you mentioned these these questions that you had about, like, these unanswered questions from the movie. Did you want to dive into any of those, or do so, you just want to leave them as mysteries for people to yell at you in the comments? Oh, my God. Do people yell at you in the comments here? No, nobody okay. listens to this. This, okay. is, this is just me jerking off into a microphone, realistically. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, to the, everyone. To the dozens of you who tune in, I'm genuinely grateful for you, despite the sarcastic tone in my voice right now. <laughs> he is. Trust me. This is all he talks about. Um, no, I honestly think... Here's the thing about those questions. They're mostly emotional questions. It's like when I watched the movie My Girl for the first time. I couldn't live with myself for three days. I cried constantly. And I just, I needed to know that things were going to be okay. I needed to know that things were going to be all right. The unanswered questions are just what happens to Leonard, you know? And I know that like we can all pretty much guess kind of what path he goes down, but I just feel connected to people after I watch a movie that's really impactful. And I have like several mental breakdowns afterwards. Like it's, it's uh, being me is exhausting and being with me is exhausting. Being near me is exhausting. I'm exhausting. Call the police. <laughs> That's your final thought. I asked you if you had any like big questions about Memento, and you're like, I'm an exhausting person to be. <laughs> First of all, it's about me, <laughs> not Memento. First of all, send help. <laughs> but um, um, do you have any questions about Memento? Like, what do you, if you had to summarize how you felt watching this movie in a sentence, like, what would you say? Um, I know I'm really making him think, which is he's not used to thinking. Listen, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> No, I mean, it's it's an experience of confusion in a way that is not usually handled this masterfully, which is a real jerk-off word. But, I mean, like, Christopher Nolan has a pretty good idea of what the fuck he's doing. Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. aside, because that movie is hogwash. But, yeah, I mean, it's not... It's not too often that you experience a movie in this way where you're like okay like I don't like I I already said it but like living in this perpetual present where like you don't have any kind of foundation to build on like Leonard at least as a character has this like past that stops and he's got everything before that we don't have that except for what he's told us about his life before so all we have is just living with him in these moments moment to 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 moment and then you get to the end and you're like, oh, right? Like it's, it's, you do, it's a pretty unique experience, right? It is. And the thing that gets me is I thought I would just want to watch it once. To be honest, when you know the ending of something like this, it kind of loses its interest, but kind of like the movie Get Out, I wanted to watch it again, 
because I wanted to see if there were any cues that I missed. Because mm-hmm. when you think of things, again, when you think of things from a different perspective, everything changes. And I found that that was the case with this movie. When I watched it again with another perspective, knowing what happens, I saw cues. I picked up on little things. The way Natalie looked at him, sometimes how she like, what I thought was a loving touch or what I thought was like her like feeling the bed to see if he was gone because she missed him was really her like tracking where he is. Like you can see it in her eyes, right? So it's kind of one of those things where I just saw a lot of things a different way. And that in itself is like another experience. Yeah. And I feel like this movie by reputation like it casts a pretty big shadow i remember the first time that i watched it was i was probably like college age and i had already like i had known that like memento is a thing right this is a big movie for us to do now i'm really scared that we didn't do it justice no (laughs) it's fine okay continue and so like it it really like casts this big shadow of just like one of these movies that like you need to see it's in like the camp with like fight club Mm -hmm. and things like that and so i was honestly like i was surprised in finding out that like, it only was filmed in 2000. Like, how huge is Christopher Nolan now? Like, one of the biggest directors on the fucking planet. Mm-hmm. And this movie was only made in 2000. Like, this movie was cast largely in the way that it was because of The Matrix. But it feels like its reputation goes back more than yeah, that. Yeah, the cult following is insane. I actually went to film school, and we had to watch this as one of our, um, like, kind of required, I guess you have required re- readings in university. We had required films. And so this one we had to watch mostly because this is why I watched it high because I was in college um but yeah so when we watched it it taught us a lot about not only just making continuity work for a film but also making meaning out of something that didn't have to go linear um and normally people either go linear or they go from you know the opposite way they don't ever play with the two together and when they do they lose track of it it's difficult um and they lose meaning because people are just paying attention to trying to focus on what's happening they lose meaning in the characters and they don't attach themselves yeah so when we watched this movie we really attached ourselves to these characters and that's what made the impact for us and i think without him doing that it would be meaningless and a lot of films try to do this but they can't make the character impact and this is what happens when you do and it's good. And it it attracts people from all over the place. People who normally don't watch suspenseful movies or thrillers or mysteries, they'll be drawn to this because it has a lot more to offer too. I have one question about you, about this movie. About me. Oh, God. But for you. Okay, so <laughs> breathe, breathe. Um, Dylan and I were doing this game where we had to guess, looking at Teddy from his outfits in the movie. Sorry, when you say Dylan, you mean your fiance. I have a fiance named Dylan and this man sitting next to me is also named Dylan. Basically, what we were doing was we were guessing what Teddy's occupation would be if we just saw him on the street. Because every time we walk into a scene, he's like, Ohio. And he like opens up the door and like just looks so weird with his glasses and his zip up jacket, like his windbreaker. And Chewing his gum with his mouth open. Yes. Yeah. And his mustache. And so Dylan says, used car salesman. Yeah. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, like that or like a like a bookie or, you know, just something skeezy and shitty. Okay. Funny you said that. I said that he would be one of those guys who tries to get you to bet on horses. Right on. That's Perfect. what I said. Yes. Perfect. So I feel like we can land on a very good 
But I mean, like those all have the thing in common that those are all people who are more than happy to manipulate you for personal gain, which ultimately is what Teddy does. Like, I love Teddy so much. He's so skeezy. And I just I have an affinity to him. I like him. But like he also like Teddy does this amazing like, you know, we've talked so much about like building your own narrative and like building your own story and everything. And he's told himself this like heartwarming story for why he's helping Leonard. And he's like, yeah, of course, you know, like, (laughs) look how happy you looked when you murdered this guy. So, of course, I want to give that to you again. And if I make a little money on the side, then uh, who's going to be mad at me for that? It's the actual same. That sounds just like him. (laughs) Oh, my God. But it's true. And I think that if we had to do like one breakout character in this, I would choose Teddy. I I don't know. I like him. I think he's strange. He's weird. He's funky. And he's distrustworthy or untrustworthy. He's something that's the opposite of trustworthy. Ultimately, he is the one who's the holder of most of the closest thing that we have to objective truth. Puppet master. Puppet master. Puppet master supreme. So the way that I always like to wrap it up is just ask two questions. So one, uh, on your own Netflix profile, did this movie get a thumbs up or a thumbs down? And then do you have an MVP from the movie, like a standout player, actor, some kind of creative person involved in the process who you feel like really made this movie what it is? Okay, so yes, thumbs up for me. And then I think I already answered it with Teddy because Teddy's a baller. He's living his life. He's working for him. He might have a conscience. That's unclear. All I know is that, for me, Teddy is the kind of guy that captures my interest. (laughs) This makes me also sound really skeezy, but no. Yeah, he's an interesting character. Yeah, and then for me, uh, it's a thumbs up for sure. Like, it's it's not a challenging thing for me to recommend this movie. It's an experience that you don't really get from anywhere else. I mean, I'm trying to think of other movies. Except actual crack cocaine. I'm trying to think of other movies that this might have reminded me of where they deal with amnesia in almost a responsible sort of way. And the only thing I'm coming up with is Fifty First Dates, which is oh my clearly God. not on the same level of movie. But which is another movie we should do on this podcast. Because, I mean, that's the only, like, I'm because th- when, I, when I asked you earlier, like, why wouldn't he just, like, tell himself a nice story? And I was thinking of, like, Adam Sandler at the end of the Fifty movie? First Dates where he, like he goes through and like teaches her about their marriage and everything at the end of the movie. And he goes through that every day. And she's like, why would you do this? He's like, honestly, every day is not as easy as today was, but like any day that you fall in love with me is worth it all over again. And I was like, how dare you Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore movie be this touching? How fucking dare you? (laughs) It was no blended. I'm just kidding. It is the most touching movie you'll ever see (laughs) in which a walrus vomits on somebody. Oh my God. They're so cute. But no, honestly, if I look that cute vomiting, then I just think it'd be over for all the other girls in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Emily, it has been a tremendous amount of fun having you on and to do this. Um, I've been looking forward to it for a while. So thank you so much for doing this. Um, I understand that you've got your own podcast project that you're launching soon. Are you ready to talk about that, to tell people about it? Oh, I love to talk. Okay, so I have a podcast coming out in May. It's called We're Stressed with one of my closest friends taylor sakellis um we basically dissect a ton of topics and issues from a very comedic standpoint because we are both humor writers um and we're pretty dramatic and a little bit insane so it gets heated the tea is boiling um check us out anywhere you get podcasts in may if you go before may it's not gonna be there and if you try to steal our idea before may i'm gonna come at you okay (laughs) peace You've you've got some time. You're going to be okay. (laughs) All right. Perfect, Emily. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, so, so much for doing this. I've had a lot of fun. 
And that's going to do it for this episode of the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, head on over to netflix.ca to check out the rest of our content, like show notes, articles, and reviews. If you check out today's show notes, you can find such things as a link off to that plotted timeline graph of Memento that Emily was talking about. As well, you can find some handy-dandy links heading off to the couple of episodes of this very podcast that I subtly referenced or just thought that I might be able to link to. So that's episode 67 about Pulp Fiction, another movie that tells its story in an unconventional way, as well as episode 43, Interstellar, because why the hell not listen to another podcast about a Christopher Nolan movie? As well, if there's anything that we mentioned, other media, other TV shows, other movies, we've just got a handy list at the bottom there. I'm using the word handy a lot. Read into that if you want, uh, so that you can be like, what was that thing that Emily was talking about? Oh yeah, it's right there at the bottom of the show notes. You can follow this podcast on all sorts of social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at NetflixPod, and we're on SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as Dylan Clark Moore. If you want to support this show, there are a few ways that you can do so. One of them is by heading over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you prefer and subscribing so that each new episode comes straight to you. While you're there, you can drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. Even more importantly, you can tell your friends about what we're doing here, for better or for worse. Warn them. Recommend it. I'm past the point of caring. You can also contribute directly to this project and help me pay the bills by heading over to our Patreon campaign. So you can either search for Netflix on Patreon or you can hit the support Netflix button at the top of netflix.ca and that gives you the opportunity to contribute monetarily on a monthly basis to help keep the lights on. This podcast was produced and edited by yours truly and the theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast and be sure to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet.